Hey everybody, we have a great show for you today. We have an actor we are interviewing today that's done some great movies back from the 80s and 90s. He has worked with some of the top people in Hollywood. I'm talking doing adventures and babysitting. He's been in Cousins. He's been in Toy Soldiers. He's been in Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. We're talking none other than Keith Coogan himself. So sit back and relax and take in the show. Because the dishes are done, man. Hey, welcome back everybody to the Retro Life for You podcast. I hope you guys have had a good week. Uh, we have a good uh, treat for you guys this week, this Tuesday. I think you're going to enjoy it. Uh, if you've been anywhere in the 80s watching movies and you saw the adventures in babysitting and don't tell mom the babysitting's babysitting's babysitter is dead, uh, as well as many other great movies, and you know this person I'm about to bring on with me now. So one second as I bring him in here. Ladies and gentlemen, we got Mr. Keith Coogan with us this week. Hey, Keith, thank you going? very much for coming on with us. Absolutely, um, thanks for. I, I I've been harassing you forever, I know, and I I feel like I've been really harassing you at this point. Uh, no, not trying man, to harass, but but feeling like I'm harassing. Um, no harassment whatsoever. Um, <laughs> it, it just took a while for us to get make sure. Yeah, just trying to keep a you. Find that one good meeting point. Let that be it. You know, you you stay really busy. I, I I'm telling you, every time I look on uh, Instagram, you are somewhere doing something. And I'm like, if I only had a fourth of his energy, I would be all right, man. Well, uh, once again, thanks for coming, uh, just coming on with us. And I guess we'll start off by talking about. I see you had started off early in your childhood. Uh, with acting, I know your grandfather acted. Did you get into it because of like a family thing, or did you just want to act at a young age? I just wanted to act at a young age, which I, I guess it's in the DNA. Um, yeah. I had a pretty young mom; she was sixteen when I was born, and uh, in uh, my grandparents were uh, my grandfather was you know Catholic and the church and stuff. And this is nineteen sixty nine when my mom was uh, fifteen uh, and with child. She turned 16, and about a month later, I came along. She didn't talk to my grandfather at that time. I didn't know anything about him. And so I'm probably four years old, watching TV, Sesame Street, Electric, but Zoom. I said the uh, the phrase, uh, I want to be on TV. My mom uh, was taken aback by that. She explained to me, well, you know, actors, and you have to start out and train, and then you do commercials, and then guest appearances, and you have to learn how to, you know, do the songs. And I got, that sounds, yeah, I'm not interested. It sounds like a lot of work. I didn't understand. <laughs> so she said about six months later, uh, some commercials on, and I jump into the living room, and I'm singing, you know, Oscar Mayer Wiener, whatever it is. And um, I said, okay, <clears throat> very serious her five-year-old he said uh, okay i'm ready ready to uh you know go on tv whatever that meant i didn't even have, have no idea so right uh, got an agent and and got started at it doing commercials and then guest appearances on shows and uh and eventually movies and, you know it was, i was probably eight when i saw the kid at a screening here in la and um by that time i'd started to piece together that this was kind of a family business and then really, I think after that screening, I realized what an impact my grandfather had, his career, the, the law, the Coogan Act, you know, Adam's family, all of that stuff. 
Uh, right. So, uh, yeah, it was very, yeah, it was very, very popular, popular show. Oh, I, yeah. I watched it. I mean, you know, it was a very popular show. I, matter of fact, that's my last name. I grew up hearing that forever in school. In elementary school, kids are terrible, you know. You walk by, they're like, duh, 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 duh. that's what you hear from them when you walk by. You know, I'm like, I, I was, that was cool, though. I liked it. I was like, yeah, I love that show. Let's do it some more. Come on. We just spun you know, a great. family lottery ticket uh, here in L.A. Just sitting in the machine, and it's got the original 1964 cast on it. That's cool. That is really cool. I I, I noticed you were in a lot of TV shows. You mentioned uh, how you would start out some commercials, some jingles, some guest appearances, some TV shows, and everything. You had quite an impressive list of TV shows I noticed earlier. Um, gosh, uh, of course, it's off to my right. I'm trying not to look at it, but I can't help it. Little House on the Prairie, The Waltons, The Love Boat, Fantasy Island, Laverne and Shirley, Mork and Mindy, It Is Enough, Knight Rider. What kid didn't want to be on Knight Rider? Growing pain, silver spoons, fame, and chips. There might be more for all I know. This is just all I've seen listed. And it's funny because I noticed which episode of Night Rider you were on when I was, you know, reading more into you earlier. And I just seen that the other day on Netflix. They've had, they have it on Netflix, and I was like, no, he's not on there. No, because I would have seen that. I would have noticed that. I went back and looked again, and I'm I'm waiting and I'm waiting. I was like, wait a second, is that is that him? It, it was you, you know, the little boy, you know, for the, the sister who runs the shop or something. When the guy comes to town, want to go rock climbing. But still, I mean, I, how cool was that? You, you get to sit in the kit car, you know, you're on the show. Not many kids get to say that, you know, that's, that's, that's like a bragging point for a boy when you're young. And it was before the show had aired. So they had, uh, you know, it was like the, the third episode or fourth episode of the show. Night Rider hadn't aired yet, even. Um, I knew it was going to be the coolest Gang show ever. I was already into like Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> Friday nights yeah. had a little Hulk and then Dukes right. of Hazard and this Night Rider thing, you know, futuristic sci fi, the car talks, drives itself. Hi. This is this is gonna be so cool. Yeah. Um a little different when you get to the set, there's no uh voice of Kit, it's the script supervisor. Yeah, yes, Michael. Okay, you know, just reading the lines. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> when you see the finished product, you probably felt a whole lot more <laughs> really in you know into it when you saw the finished product on television and everything that that's what made it so cool uh yeah, but yeah you that was a good time to be coming up at that point you know you especially if you like the uh the vehicles from the tv shows you had the the general lee from the the dukes of hazard you mentioned watching that you've got the kit car from knight rider the the a-team a-team motorcycles the uh uh the, the coyote car from hardcastle mccormick mm -hmm. yeah all kinds of great things like that come up in that time and uh, did you have a particular Suzanne Summers vet from uh, American Graffiti? Did you have a particular show that you enjoyed the most? I mean, I, I, I mean, I may have said it already with Night Rider. I may have trumped everything, but if we take Night Rider out of the mix, did you have any other kind of a favorite show that you did uh, on television when you were younger that you guessed it on? Uh, I think that uh, the Laverne and Shirley and the Mork and Mindy are two. Uh, I got to do the last episode of Mork and Mindy. Worked with Jonathan Winters and. Uh, and of course, uh, Pam Dauber and Robin Williams, and um, that was, you know, I was a huge fan of Mork and Mindy, and we'd attended tapings. My mother and I had gone to just tapings. Just why I think I watched the one where they go to work and uh, Raquel Welch is in it, and um, had auditioned for it and didn't get it, uh, and then got this uh, this last episode. I don't think it, everybody knew it was going to be the last last episode, but while we were shooting, they found out in the middle of shooting that they weren't going to get picked up. So the set turned kind of dour, but uh, it was still super fun to work on the show. 
And it's going to be a hard thing to you know bring that set down. You got Jonathan Winters on there, Robin Williams. I mean, how do you keep a straight face among those guys? That's got to be tough on its own, you know. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> guys are hilarious. You know, coming up and watching them and everything it was great. Laverne and Shirley was a favorite as well. Spinning off of what Happy Days, I believe that was always fun. Uh, so also noticing growing pain, silver spoons, and you mentioned chips, motorcycles. You're on chips as well. Now don't tell me you got to ride on a motorcycle too, because I'm really going to be jealous at this point. I did. Like, I did an to... episode called Killer Indy, and I ride a mini bike. Oh, okay. But it's not the chips bike though. I mean, it's no, not the chips. Chip yeah. Okay, well, it's okay. You're off the hook then. Not ready cars but, cool enough. If you get the chips motorcycle too, then I was be like, okay, it's all <laughs> We're done. It's over. No. I stole the Waltons car on the first episode of the Waltons that I did. It hopped in and it ran out of control and I crashed through the fence and destroyed the flower bed. And I also, uh, you know, vehicles too, but animals. For some reason, I worked with a lot of animals as a kid. Your cats and your dogs, but your horses and, and cheetahs and raccoons and snakes and uh, so I always made friends with the animal handlers. <laughs> yeah, and I, I saw you ran cheetah as well. That, that was pretty cool, man. You do work around those types of animals. That had to be something else. Oh yeah, you're you're nervous about getting mauled. Uh, they say cheetahs can't don't really hurt you too much if you're just in a room with them. They can scratch you a bit, whatever. <laughs> yeah, their whole thing is breaking your neck at seventy miles an hour when you're running from them. Um, yeah. And they were sweet as pie. They were too. Uh, we did go to Africa to shoot the movie, but they flew the cheetahs out from the San Fernando Valley. They were animal actors. So trained to be around people and everything, and you know, they knew how to behave and everything. <laughs> uh, what did you do in Little House on the Prairie? That was a favorite of mine growing up. I mean, I just had Patrick Laberto on uh, a few weeks ago and talked with him, and we talked some Little House on the Prairie as well. What did you do on there? Oh, well, uh, Patrick's amazing. We just saw him at a, uh, the autograph convention here in L.A., um, I was oh, yeah, on he, episode, he's fine. Yeah. Uh, I was on an episode called Make a Joyful Noise, and it was at the blind school, and I was a troublemaking kid that was blind. That um, uh, Katie Lester, uh, she was in a love triangle between like the rich pastor guy and the uh, working class uh, janitor at the you know uh, blind. Were school. you the kid? Were you the kid that didn't want to learn with all the other kids? Is that pretty much? This one? I think okay, about, I, yeah, totally. I yeah, I know what you're talking about. Then. Blind, yeah, uh, probably scarlet fever or your parents. Your parents were coming to pick you up soon. All that good sure. stuff. Yeah, exactly. No, I remember that. Uh, you know, total denial. So he teaches me how to fight. I think like punch a, a big punching bag, and I cry. And then at the end, instead of marrying uh, the, she's about to marry the guy, and all the kids come out with the uh, Moses gun. Uh, and mm -hmm. singing Go Tell It on the Mountain, and then she mm -hmm. changes her mind and, and, and makes the right love decision. It was a great episode, and it really only featured Ketty Lester, Moses Gunn, and myself. It really nice. Yeah, it, it was like a whole episode of The Blind School. That's, well, I do, like, it's, 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 a, it's a shame. I, I can remember everything from then, but I can't tell you what I did last week. I don't know why this is, but I have a good memory of stuff like that, it feels like. <laughs> Crazy stuff. Uh, Kind of jumping ahead a little bit, I guess. Here, uh, adventures in babysitting was that? Uh, I know you. I know you did. You know the voiceover in uh, Fox and Hound. And I'm trying to remember. If there's anything in between that? And I told you I could remember all the way back then, but not last week. I'm gonna make myself look bad now. Uh, between Fox and the Hound and Adventures in Babysitting, but Adventures in Babysitting was the first thing I really uh, knew who you were in at that point. Um, I didn't watch a whole lot of other stuff, and when I did. Being younger, you just watch it and you run outside and go play and all that good stuff. And you, your show's going off and 
and that's it. But Adventures in Babysitting was a fun movie for me. I already knew who Elizabeth Shue was from Karate Kid, and <laughs> definitely into her. I mean, that was great. Um, tell me about the movie. I mean, do you, uh, is there any, any kind of a fun story you may have from the movie or anything like that that may have happened on set that, that just you recall that was a good memory or something? My God. Uh, the, <laughs> you know, it was, uh, took a, bit, a good part of three months, um, two, two weeks of rehearsals in Toronto uh, while they're building sets and uh, kind of getting the production design together. We're rehearsing and kind of rehashing the script um doing a lot of like improv um and then uh shot two months in toronto a lot of the outdoor stuff a lot of the set pieces where they kind of built sets uh in a warehouse um and then moved to chicago for two weeks to kind of establish it as being in chicago uh and then back to los angeles for a week of special effects recreating scenes from that we shot in toronto and in chicago and um shooting little insert bits that we needed to kind of finish up the movie. And uh, from beginning to end, this was, it was always my dream. I've been auditioning for films for, uh, from The Shining to E.T. and Goonies and Gremlins and Stand By Me and just Lucas and uh, uh, Christmas Story and uh, was, had not gotten uh, cast in any films. And um, so Adventures of Babysitting was amazing first break. Chris Columbus, it was his directorial debut. Obviously, he went on to amazing things. And he really is that perfect blend between Spielberg and John Hughes. He fought for me uh, to be cast as Brad. And um, I frankly, I just had a huge crush on Elizabeth Shue the entire shoot. The whole thing was what it was. We were driving around Chicago, you know, the streets, uh, hanging from buildings and climbing the rafters and... Uh, uh, riding the you know the loop the L train around Chicago, um, it was uh, had all of the support from Touchstone from Disney, so all the trucks and cranes and lights and, and kind of tricks you could possibly had great stunt team and effects teams. You know most of it was done practically. Um, yeah. So it was uh, I like to call rolling thunder when you get to set and you just see several five-ton trucks, grip and electric and camera truck and hair and makeup and wardrobe and craft service and the lunch spread. and the It uh, takes a lot to run around Chicago. Uh, but the it's so fun. It's so uh, real. I think the cast really did get along and we liked working with each other. And we were constantly under the pressure from Chris Columbus to make it believable. He goes, it's outrageous situations you're in, but try to react realistically. And not go right. over the top. We just cut and go OTT. That was over the top. Like bring it back down, ground it. Um, we had fun every day, every single day. Um, so nothing really sticks out. I mean, from day one, we almost knocked a camera off of Pruitt's uh, tow truck, Dawson's uh, Dawson the Dawson Garage truck. And they had a camera mounted right. outside the truck, and that thing almost fell off. That would have, it was a Panavision Platinum, so it was worth about two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So we almost went two hundred fifty thousand dollars over budget on day one. <laughs> everything was fine um it's just it's it's a lot of moving parts you know 80 crew members or something so uh it, it, it definitely looked like a fun movie to make i mean just yeah. watching the movie I, i've seen it so many times and it just looks like it's so fun to be a part of what was going on and yeah. that y'all were genuinely enjoying yourselves it looked like like there yeah. wasn't you know we all know you're acting but i mean it, it looked like you genuinely enjoyed every minute of what was going on while the movie was happening um, it, it was as much of an adventure as the 
as the title would suggest. Like filming the movie was an adventure for sure. Mm-hmm. And just so you know, you don't get out of here without singing the blues. Just just making it known. Nobody so, leaves this place without singing the blues. Nobody leaves this place without singing the blues. <laughs> it's okay. And I'm not a Lords of Death, so you can you can say some things. I'm not going to throw a knife in your foot or anything. We're good there. <laughs> um, the cast went on. It seemed like to do a lot of uh, other things. I mean, you went on with some other movies and everything did well with them. I noticed... I didn't know it was him at first, but uh, the guy that played your friend in the movie, I've noticed is playing in one of the new Star Trek shows on Paramount. If you're a fan of Star Trek, it's a it's, it's a, it's a fun show to watch. Uh, we all know Elizabeth Shue went on to do other things. Uh, I'm not sure about the youngest, if she wanted to do anything or not. I know you've seen her recently because of your Instagram. You had met up with her somewhere well, or come across her picture with her, but I didn't know if she's still acting or anything like that. Mm-hmm. She's an attorney, an advocate. Uh, cool. Much smarter than I'll ever be. <laughs> Probably both of us put together, but it's that's good. That's good for her, though. I mean, it's great. That's definitely a good field to be in. Um, had you ever wanted to do anything like voiceovers? I know you did the Fox and the Hound as a young kid and everything, but I mean, other than after that, have you thought about voiceovers in any way? Uh, oh, video sure. games or cartoons? Absolutely. At Fox and the Hound was a fluke. Don't remember auditioning it for it. I don't remember. Uh, necessarily auditioning for, you know, animated in particular or voiceover work. It was just another call. Uh, and then afterwards, I did get a couple of opportunities. I auditioned there. I got this script for Hamlet, the Lion King. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they changed the title to just the Lion King. Um, and I auditioned for uh, the role that would eventually go to Tom Hulse in Hunchback of Notre Dame. He's a very talented Broadway performer, so I understand that casting choice. Uh, and then also audition for tons of TV shows, animated stuff, commercials, voiceover work. They were even, they fired the original Jack in the Box, the voice of Jack for Jack in the Box. And they were like, we needed someone who sounds just like him. I go to Jack in the Box, get the new two ninety nine special. Um, and it, it's great work, but it's also, it takes a lot of work that you don't see. I'm a you know, screen actor with the eyes and the hamming it and physical comedy. Um, and there is something, there are a handful of actors in town that do the heavy lifting for most of the voice work because they're really freaking good at it. So, oh, yeah. uh, you know, I've, I've auditioned for well over a hundred different animated pieces and i'm very happy that you know if if one of the classically disney animated movies is your credit sole credit for voiceover then that's i would gladly take that hey that's not that's that's something to brag about fox and the ham was a big thing for kids back then you know when it came out that was a fun movie um Fun? Did, uh, Your definition of fun and my definition of fun are... Well, I mean, uh, you had a little bit more work to do than I did. I was just watching it. <laughs> you know, I got to enjoy oh, watching it. You had no, um... Working on it, I was super fun. There's the kid parts. We don't have any... You know, the sadness comes in the bittersweet part. Uh, and, um, and the adult story, how that tragically unfolds. It was the kid stuff. That was the innocent, fun stuff. Watching the movie was horrifying. Oh, well. um, it does stand out from Disney's films as being particularly emotional. It breaks grown men. Um, I think it still is effective and it still has a really good message. You know who the Hound was? Well, the voice of the Hound? Yes. No, I've been, I spent so long since I've seen the Fox and the Hound. It's not, that's not something I've rewatched over the years. Uh, Disney movies like that, I mean, I would watch when I was younger, but I wouldn't have rewatched them over the years and known that much about it. I just noticed that you had done... 
uh, one of the voices in it earlier when I was looking at your stuff. The Hound was Corey Feldman. Was it really? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it took me a minute to realize he was voicing one of the Ninja Turtles one time, so I don't, I'm not surprised right. I didn't catch that. Um, it took me a while to figure out that he was one of them doing the voice on that, too. And I kept thinking, why do I know that voice? You know, that is familiar. I couldn't put a, I couldn't put a face to it, but it was driving me crazy, too. Yeah. I finally broke down and asked a friend. I said, who's doing that voice right there, that Ninja Turtle? He said, it's a uh, you know, dude from, uh, you know, it, it, it's a Goonie kid. Yeah. I said, which Goonie kid? There's several. All right, you know, the, the one of the Corys. I'm like, oh, okay, I got you, Corey Feldman. That's who it is. That's why it sounds so familiar. But it took me a minute just to pick that up. I don't know why it does that. Uh, I did not. I did not know. Um, we mentioned Patrick Labrador earlier. You said you'd seen him recently. I did not know he did voiceovers for Spider-Man. I didn't catch his voice on there either. And uh, he was telling me about that. So I mean, it just goes to show you how much I pick up on stuff like that. My attention to detail is not great, I guess. But um, I enjoy the shows. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, did you have a favorite growing up you like to watch? Uh, you mentioned you watched Dukes of Hazard. Um, anything else you like to growing up? Incredible watch? Hulk, uh, Saturday morning, Super Friends. Um, I like, you know, of course, Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley, but I also like weird stuff like uh, Barney Miller, Mash. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't like any hour dramas or Dallas or any of that stuff, but uh, certainly no. A Team uh, and uh, Riptide. So speaking okay. of vehicles, there was a show uh, where they had a big pink Huey <laughs> as <laughs> a helicopter as their vehicle <laughs> with uh, shark teeth on the front of it. Um, that was a very short-lived series, but thoroughly a lot of people won't remember that show. If you ask them, a lot of people won't remember. They won't know what to tell you when you say Riptide. They're like, no, I don't know what that is. Like, okay. Really? Never seen that at all. I mean, it was cool. I had the, the two guys, I think Joe Penny was one of them. It is this boat. They're like, no. Yep. You nailed all it. Right. Like, you just see Airwolf at least, though, right? You know, we're, oh, we're talking about vehicles, and they're like, yeah, I've seen Airwolf. Who didn't see Airwolf, you know? Airwolf, Battlestar Galactica, um, Buck Rogers. Uh, uh, I still was watching, you know, the original Star Trek series would rerun. See, me and you could be the same person, except you acted, and I didn't, and you have more hair than I do. But we could be the same person right now. I mean, I watched all those shows. You throw in a $6 million man, and you got a winner. Oh, I had so, a six-inch, $6 million man figure where you look through the back of the head for the bionic right? eye, and the arm yeah. peels back. and uh, Oh, yeah, I was a huge $6 million man and $1 million woman. Absolutely. I think, if, I think if we all had half the toys we had when we were kids, we'd all be rich right now, but we didn't. If we knew what we knew now, if we knew it then, it'd be different, right? <laughs> this is not that way. Um, I know. So you've gone, from Avengers, you've gone from Avengers and Babysitting, which was great, and you know all the funness of the movie and everything. Uh, cousins. you uh, Ted Danson. Um, was it uh, Isabella Rossellini, I believe is her name. Lloyd Bridges. I mean, you've been around some very high-quality people, you know, in these movies and acting and everything. Did you learn anything from them while in the movie, or did they they work with you much, or did you just kind of... was a uh, truly special shoot, Joel Schumacher directing. He created the, you know, there's the two families, the um, Marinskis, or, no, wait, the, the Italian family and the Polish family. 
and uh, cast background artists to be the family. This is very synecdic. Um, so when we're shooting the wedding scenes, there were three weddings and a funeral in Cousins. So lots of days of everybody dressed up and um, you start creating this universe of the families. And Cousins was like having a movable feast for three months in beautiful Vancouver, beautiful weather. Um, don't forget Billy Peterson, uh, Norma Alejandro, the George Coe. Uh, I think he dies early in it. Um, that was one of the most like lush, beautiful, rich films. And I do, I, I agree with you. I got on the set and I'm looking around, going, "Are you sure I'm the right one for this?" And as many producers later, they came up to me and they go. Do you know why we cast you? And I said, I, I don't know. They go, well, you weren't the best for the role of Mitch. <laughs> My jaw is on the floor. I'm like, really? They said, no, when you read with Ted, you made Ted the best that he was, that he would pair it up with any other uh, kid to play his son. So I was cast because I brought something out of Ted Danson. And so there was a connection there. As a matter of fact, we flew out together from L.A. to Vancouver and he's very shy. He was the, at the time, he's the highest paid actor in television. And painfully shy, but you know, didn't like to go out in public that much. And this isn't necessarily from his fame. I think he's always kind of been like that. Um, yeah. He said he started acting because he followed a cute girl into the theater as she was auditioning for the show, and he went up for it and he got it. That's um, great. So it just came very easy to him. And uh, I even went and visited the Cheers set after and met Woody and. Uh, there was a point where we were filming Cousins and our camera man, the cinematographer, Ralph Boda, he had shot the um, Sting concert film uh, and Sting was in town for concert and gave out tickets to uh, him and whoever wanted to go. So we, me, Ted Danson, John Travolta and Kirstie Alley, because they were shooting Look Who's Talking at the same time in town, we all went to a Sting concert and went backstage and met Sting. That was that was a mind blowing for eighteen year old me. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, anybody you were a fan of that time would be mind blowing. Probably just getting back there, yeah. something you wouldn't expect to do. Um, the um, that's if you see my shirt, that'd be like me when I was younger. I'm sitting here wearing this. So when I'm younger, if I'm back, if I'm hitting backstage at that and I'm meeting Gene Simmons, I'm not knowing what to do or say. That would have been really cool. I'd just been like, nothing's coming out. I don't know what to say at this point. That would be super cool. There was somebody supposed to be on the show with me earlier. They were going to join in and uh, take part of the uh, interview process with us and everything. And he wanted to ask you about one movie in particular. And I did, I skipped over it already, but I'm going to go back real quick. Ooh, yeah. he, uh, he really liked the movie Hiding Out. Yeah. Uh, he liked it a lot. Pass up the John Cryer movie. Uh, I have to uh, go back and watch it. So I'm going to plead ignorant. I have never heard of it. I haven't seen it yet. So I'll see, see if I can, was, see if I can looking, find it somewhere and watch it. He was looking for something to produce. He uh, found the material, got the money, you know, he made this movie basically, starred in it, and uh, to take advantage of the fact that he looks young, that mm -hmm. he's got this baby face. So he is a uh, stockbroker who gets involved with the mob, washing money through bonds or some crap, mutual funds or something. And... Um, is going to rat on him, and he goes into protective custody, but they wind up murdering the other. There's a rat inside somewhere in the nose, so he runs away from protective custody, changes his appearance, and goes back to high school. 
and I play his cousin. He comes to stay with us. Uh, right. Me and my mom, who's his aunt, who's really played by his real mom. Uh, so it had um, Annabeth Gish, who fresh off of, uh, I think, the one film she'd done before us, and then Mystic Pizza might have been next. And uh, shot in Wilmington, North Carolina. Un John Cryer, unbelievably cool dude, great older brother, cousin, whatever it is that we played, uh, fearless leader on a set, and um, was the last movie that Del Arenas Entertainment Group released before it went bankrupt, holding up residuals for about five years before they reformed as another company. But uh, they were also shooting Collision Course with Shadow Stevens and Jay Leno at the same time. <laughs> Shadow Stevens. That was, that's the guy from the Hollywood Square show, right? Is that what yeah, you're talking about? DJ in, in LA. Yeah. They were also doing, yeah. it's the same area. We shot in the same sets as Blue Velvet, uh, Dream a Little Dream, The Crow. Yeah. If I understand a lot of that, that happens actually a lot from what I understand. Uh, reusing uh, scenes and old sets and other movies. And sometimes people pick up on it, sometimes they don't. Um, I was just talking with somebody about Point Break recently, and they pointed out that in Point Break, when they're playing football on the beach, it's the same area on the beach that they were doing the soccer game in Karate Kid when they were kicking the ball up and down the beach. Same area on the beach where, yeah. uh, from here to eternity, when they're rolling around in the water. <laughs> a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. Um, you mentioned earlier you auditioned for a lot of things that you um, didn't get into and everything. Was there one in particular that you think stands out in your mind that you wanted the most? Oh, God, yeah. Um, all of them. I mean, so many all of them. I uh, didn't know enough about E.T. to you know until it later came out. I was like, oh, well, because Spielberg's pretty secretive about what it is that you're kind of going up for and how much information mm -hmm. you're given on the whole right. story. Um, I, I, you never know, uh, you know, you get the, I, there's a saying, you get the cast for the part you're right for. And so as much as I might've wanted another of those roles, I, I mean, I went up for Lloyd Dobler in Say Anything. Obviously I'm a little too young. Uh, I think I was 17, but I didn't look near as old as John Cusack. Um, so there's ones you go for, you just know you're not right for. I went up for The Geek in 16 Candles for Anthony Michael Hall's role. Um, yeah, you want all of them. I really wanted uh, uh, Friday the 13th, Part 4, Final Chapter, because uh, I was really into the, you know, Sean S. Cunningham films, and uh, 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 Corey got that. Corey Feldman got that one. Dang, I missed it by that much. Yeah, but the young, the young Tommy, I uh, think he yep, was, and uh, him and there, Judy Aronson, and um, actually, one other person stands out in my mind. I can see their face, and I can't call their name, but uh, that was, that, that was, Probably my second favorite or third favorite Friday the Thirteenth. I always liked the part six the best. The uh, Jason, the Jason lives. Yeah, I thought that was. I always liked that one. Uh, do you, you mentioned you tried it for the Goonies as well. Did you? Do you ever think? Well, I mean, you don't really want to dwell on things like that and look back in the past and wonder. But in, in your mind, do you think if you had gotten cast as one of the Goonies, would it have changed the direction that your career went or anything? You think, or do you still think it's all about more or less that you know? 
you still may not have fit this role that you auditioned for still, even regardless if you had been in something like The Goonies. Yeah, I, mean, I, always, I always wondered how that worked with people sometimes. I mean, I don't know if it's a mindset or if it's just, you know, you're, if you're not right, you're not right. I think that's more it. Uh, even if I had gotten mouth in Goonies, that doesn't mean... Because I went up for Gordy in Stand By Me, Will Wheaton's part. Mm -hmm. But Corey played what was his uh character name and stand by me god it's just slipping right now so i'm more of a will wheaton type or at that time so if i had gotten mouth it doesn't necessarily make me any better for the will wheaton part as a matter of fact it shows that whoever would have gotten mouth is actually probably more geared towards the Corey feldman role from stand by if that makes any sense uh will came up, we're doing an autograph convention and will wheaton came up to my table and he points to the pictures on the table and he points to adventures of babysitting and will goes to that one and keep in mind i've worked with will three times uh mm -hmm. python tales from the crypt and toy soldiers and right. i go what do you mean that one and he goes that one that i wanted that movie that one i really wanted and i would go really because you stand by me that's you know stand by me is something that i really wanted <laughs> and uh and i go tell you what will uh would you switch and he goes no and i go there you go <laughs> it really is in the eye of the beholder. Uh, well, I mean, you know, Stand By Me was a, was a great film at the time and everything. I mean, it was very enjoyable. And to be a part of that was something special anyway. I mean, you probably wouldn't want to give it. If you look back at it, you wouldn't want to give that up for sure. Oh, yeah. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't think so. And uh, it's, it's funny you mentioned working with him three times. Now, uh, that's the direction I was going with the next one. I, I love Toy Soldiers. That was a fun movie for me. I, you know, this... A great mix of you know humor and some action, little bit of drama because the school's being taken over by some terrorist people, obviously, and everything. But I mean, there's still some very humorous moments in there uh, with you and the group of guys you were with. What was that also the first time you'd worked with Sean Astin, or had you had you worked with him before in something else? We had a production company um, when we were 16, um, and we also made um, shorts and used to knock Matt McKenzie around quite a bit. Um, me, Gabe Jarrett, who was Mitch in Real Genius, and Sean, we were like three musketeers growing up, um, though I'd known Sean. Also, Sean's dad and my mm -hmm. grandfather had done Adam's Family together, so he was family. I knew Sean since we That's were why I was asking more or less. I wondered since they had worked together in, in the past, had you guys grown up around each other and uh, you know, worked together before with other things? I don't remember a movie before that where I saw you all together in a movie or anything, but... To be able to still, you know, to know when we grow up with him still would still be great. Um, Super fun. Super um, fun, yeah. I got um, cast first, me and Lou Gossett Jr., and so they hadn't cast any of the other kids yet. And Dan Petrie Jr., the director, let me read the other, because Lou wasn't available to read the scenes with whoever is going up for Billy Tepper. He has me do it. So I'm pretending to be Lou Gossett Jr., pretending to be the dean and reading everybody that's coming in, you know, through. And everybody, they saw everybody for that. And we're all about five years younger than the Brat Pack, I would say. About, yeah. like, Chad Lowe was two classes above me. So when I was in, like, seventh grade, he'd be in ninth grade. And then Rob was probably two classes above Chad. So probably four or five years difference between us. Um, so I think I scraped at the, you know, I was at the bottom edge of castability for the kind of brat pack films and um my competition i was up against 
River Phoenix, Christian Slater, Corey Haim. Come on, give me a break. They're going to get all the good parts because they're fantastic actors. They had combined a lot of great movies, I will say. For sure, they did. Oh, yeah. uh, I did Explorers, go up yes. That would have been that would have been fun. I rem- I loved that movie as a kid. I thought that was great. You know, just wanting to be one of them in the ship going around. That was that was really cool. Uh, Luke Gossett Jr. I can't say I've ever seen a bad movie with him in it. What was it like working with him? Was he bad work? He um. You know, it's funny. My grandfather said, "Take every job. If it's bad, no one's going to see it, and you get paid. And if you know, good, great. Uh, or you'll meet somebody." Um, that you'll work with later, or uh, you'll learn something at least. I feel that Lou, regardless of why he might take a job, doesn't matter if it's Toy Soldiers, Iron Eagle 3, or Officer and a Gentleman. He gives the same Oscar winning. He puts the same work into it. So, he's fantastic. He's the true, he's the definite, you look a professional, you know, in the sad yeah, book. I mean- Picture of and, the and then there's, there's been some silly movies I thought he was in. I mean, I, I, I'm a big Chuck Norris fan, but Firewalkers <laughs> wasn't exactly probably the greatest plot for a movie ever. And you got Lou Gossett Jr. with him playing the sidekick and partner, and he's 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 killing it in that. You know, I mean, then you come here, he's a principal of the school or headmaster, whatever you want to call him, for Toy Soldiers. Uh, Iron Eagle went to, what, four movies? Iron Eagle 4, before he finally called it quits on it, I believe. Um Dude, do you That's remember cool. Enemy Mine? What was that? Do you remember Enemy Mine? Enemy Mine, uh, yes, actually. That was some of the best sci-fi ever. He's, yeah. He's just great, everything he does. I haven't heard that in so long. And Dennis Quaid was the other, I believe. Yep. Yeah, it's been a while since that's been thrown at me. I'm not going to lie. Um, that during that time frame, as far as those kind of movies... Of course, like everybody else, you love Star Wars, right? But I don't include Star Wars in the mix because Star Wars is, is a thing all on its own. You uh, you can include it in the sci-fi movies, but nobody's ever going to pick another sci-fi movie over Star Wars unless they're a Trekkie, and then now, they're going to pick Star Trek. But the last Starfighter was running. Was Silent Running before Star Wasn't Silent Running like 74 and Star Wars came along in 77? Yeah, I believe, I believe so. So I and because Douglas Trumbull eventually started working for ILM, but the single point lighting, the model work, um, the droids, uh, I think that's when I started to first crawl into the Star Wars universe was with, um, was with the Bruce Dern film, with, with uh, Silent Running. Um, yeah, we also had Logan's Run, and uh, they, they even had a Battlestar, Gal- wait, was it a ba- didn't they have a movie, a Battlestar Galactic oh. movie? At one point, I want to say I, I want to say they did. I don't remember if it came to the theaters or was TV. For us, because it released overseas as a movie. It, it may have come to the theaters because I do remember a six million dollar man uh, going to the theater because I was a kid in the theater watching it. It's the one where Andre the Giant was in there playing the Bigfoot, the Bionic Bigfoot, or something like that. So uh, my mom would tell everybody that I was the loudest kid in the place, and somebody that went with us asked asked me what would I do with that big hairy thing come after me and my voice would apparently carry when I was a kid, and I couldn't say bionic, so I would say, I'll put my bionic shoes on and jump over everybody. <laughs> Tells everybody that. Um, not embarrassing at all, but Battlestar Galactica may have hit the theater for a, for a minute and then you know, back on TV again. Uh, I just don't, I don't remember going to the theater to watch it, though. Uh, but, um, like I said, The Last Starfighter was my thing as far as a space movie would go then, for sure. Um, I was fortunate enough to 
think I want to say she was my first guest. Catherine Mary Stewart was our first guest to come on the first season we did this, and we talked to her about it a little bit. And she mentioned that still to this day, they're trying to come up with a sequel so many years later, the original writer and everything. It's just not a guarantee. So she said, I won't tell you too much about anything because, you know, I can't say much. And it's not a guarantee, but it would be the two of them years later if it gets done because the original writer is going to be writing it. And they're going to come up with a story that's going to be realistic based on, you know, 30 years later, basically, because it's been a little while since that came out. I'd still go watch it, but I mean, totally. come back and go to the trailer park. Get actually get Will Wheaton's back because Will was cut out of Last Starfighter. Was he really? Yeah, he was one of his friends, yeah. and um, definitely bring him back. Now, how do you deal with the passed away cast member? So Robert Preston. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, Nathan Lane done. Cast. <laughs> I get somebody. They could do it. I got confidence in them <laughs> all the way. But, you know, back to your movie, though, Toy Soldiers. The irony is, uh, if they remade Last Starfighter, they would use practical effects. Uh, you know, I hope they don't remake it, though. There's some things I don't want to see remade. Some shows I don't want to see touched ever in a remake. I mean, it, I mean, if we're, if we're going on 80s movies, I don't want to see The Last Dragon ever, re ever touched or remade. It was... A, there's no way you can take that movie and make it like a recent or newer movie. That's that's 80s cheese all the way. The, uh, break your heart. So um, there's been a lot of late 80s, early 90s stuff being remade. Mm -hmm. um, it is not necessarily nostalgia. It is uh, a contractual clause in the Writers Guild America West. They say that if the studio doesn't exercise the intellectual property within 35 years, it reverts back to the original writer. Really? Everything. Sequels, merchandising. You think they're going to elect some schmuck that lives in Simi Valley in LA in a one bedroom? <laughs> so you're right telling me I'm, I'm going to have to put up with a remake of The Last Dragon or Big Trouble in Little China or... Now, you know. they're looking at the bottom line on these movies. And if you see that date pass, so now we're at like a year after Top Gun, right? If you see that date pass and they didn't remake the movie within 35 years, they're probably done with it. And they won't. Um, but they'll do a quick knockoff, a streamer, a direct-to-video or whatever you call it. Um, mm -hmm. And that will re-up it and then they can kind of hold on to the rights. <laughs> wow. You learn something new every day, you know? Not necessarily something you enjoy, but you learn something new every day. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, to, <laughs> sorry about that. It's all right. It's all good. I, I mean, we, 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 you know, I joke about it with friends. We'll say certain things shouldn't be touched, but you can't get away from it eventually. Um, it is show business, yeah. entertainment it, yeah. industry. Exactly. And then you can't get away from some things. It's going to happen eventually. We can fuss all we want. We can say it's not right. That's not how it looked or whatever. But, you know, it's not 1980. You know, it's not 1985, 84 anymore. It's completely different years. So it's got to look new anyway. Yeah, the, uh, like I said, Toy Soldiers was a fun movie for me. And then you went straight from there. You had a busy year in 91. Toy Soldiers, straight into Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Um, in real life, I was it was the way around. I shot Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead first and then went and shot Toy Soldiers, but they released them. Let's get backwards on it. Okay. Yeah. Well, you, still a, you still had a busy year, to say the least. Heck yeah. And Book of Love also came out that year, so I had three three pictures. That was a 
definitely. That was it. I peaked. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I need a break at this point. Tell us about <laughs> your character from uh, Kenny Crandall. I mean, obviously, it gave you a good catch line to use, you know, use down the road. But, I mean, uh, how fun was it starting off the way it was and then watching the character mold into something different? The reason I took the, the reason I wanted the part, uh, the redemptive quality, the arc, you know, Guns mm -hmm. and Roses, heavy metal stoner turns into a gourmet chef. And um, and I have done um, after school specials, movies of the week about crazy social topics, important things. And of all the things that um, change people's lives, believe it or not, don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. I have gotten fan mail and you know notes online met people at autograph conventions and not just a few not several people that said that that movie changed their life they watched kenny and they were a layabout you know stoner and they said they joined culinary academy they learned how to be a chef and now they're a five-star chef at a gourmet restaurant in miami they so i was blown away by that i mean because i like that's what i liked about the character like show him changing and the whole writer right. the whole point movie was you know at the time they were doing parents leave town and everything falls to hell and they said what if the mom leaves town and everything gets better <laughs> everybody grows up a little bit and um so that is why i love it it's it's kenneth now um kenneth yes i love kenny i think he's you know it, it had an opportunity to go into a caricature it was right on that edge but i felt he was a real character he was he was neil landau's brother uh one of the writers uh, by the way, every line of Don't Tell on the Babysitter's Dead was written with both of the writers. No one went off and wrote a scene and then showed it to the other. They wrote every line as a comeback, and that's why there's five great lines on every page of that script. The dialogue in Don't Tell on the Babysitter's Dead, fantastic. And yeah. I just took it so seriously. I, didn't, I was buried in the uh, character. I didn't even see the comedy in especially the kind of domestic scenes with his sister later. I was just playing that straight, and um, thank God we had Steve Herrick. He directed uh, the original Bill and Ted's, you know, excellent adventure, a good kind of model for Kenny. Um, yeah, that was a hoot. That's what I say is the funnest movie I worked on. Cousins is my favorite, but Don't Tell Mom was the funnest. Yeah, yeah, it 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 always you know the, the transformation I thought cracked me up going from like you said being the stoner with heavy metal. To being on, you know, you're out there at one moment on the roof with your friends, you know, doing the dishes, uh, skeet shooting, and then you're all serious, seriously mad because someone's then stomped the floor or something and made your souffle fall. I forget exactly what it was now, but you're, you know, it's, it's this hilarious whole turnaround how you, your character was now the responsible growing up one where it's Christina Applegate's character is the one that had to step up and be the adult while the mother was gone. To bring in money of some sort and everything, uh, but it's great. It's a great movie all around. I really, I really liked it. I had to. Uh, I would ask for a while to people because they're both babysitting. I'd be like, "What's better, bitches and babysitting, or don't tell mom the babysitter's dead?" And people are like, "Dude, you can't ask that question. That's not even right." Because you know, they're both good. They're both good. It's not fair. But um, and it's going on the stoner routine here. We got. In the army now, stoner number one. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you. You weren't really technically long term in the movie. I, I'm taking. I'm taking you to cameo in the movie. Was yeah, it, uh, during... The director was driving home from um, 
of the desert where they were shooting it. And he had directed uh, Toy Soldiers, same director, Dan Petrie Jr. So he's driving home, and I knew Paulie, I knew uh, Andy Dick. Um, and he's driving home, and he goes, he has an idea for the end of the movie. He's going to just you know, have them with their stereo shop and the camel and all that stuff. And then he's going to have two guys walk in that look just like Polly Shore and Andy Dick. And they're going to repeat the same dialogue from the beginning and go and sign up for the uh, Army Reserves or whatever. And yeah. uh, it happened in one take. Because it was a shot with a crane and the thing. And then you watch us go in. They roll the credits for the entire time. And then we come out of the uh, Army office and do some more gags and stuff. And uh, that was my buddy Matt Walker uh, as the Andy Dick guy, and I was the Polly Shore guy with another wig and you know jeans and leather jacket or whatever. Uh, so it was a very easy part to slip right into. Yeah, that was that was, that was some good stuff. I, I love the movie was fun for me. I like Polly Shore in the time frame. I forgot Isai Morales was in that too. It's so funny. And, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. He was uh, one of the more serious. Uh, Going yeah, yeah. Guys. it was a totally, totally hardcore, and then they wind up rescuing him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't know what 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 I liked more at first in the army now or the. Uh, oh my god! Uh, they call him Crawl. Um, he's playing a fake boyfriend to the girl going back home to the parents' house for the holidays, and uh, his his name in school is Crawl, but the father keeps messing up and calling him Crotch or something like that. I remember. Uh, Anyway, it's it, it's around the same time it came out. It's it's a really good movie. I wish I could think of it. it's it's on the tip of my tongue as well, and I can see the movie in my mind right now. Shore movie, Son in Law. No, Son in Law. That's it. Son in Law. I've never yeah. saw Son in Law. It's one of my wife's favorite movies. <laughs> if you haven't, all right, all right, she needs to make you sit down and watch it. It's a funny movie. If you if you like Pauly Shore, you'd enjoy the movie. But love love me for sure. Pauly. I want to ask you one more thing. I don't want to keep you no longer. I've had you on for a while, and I appreciate you coming on and everything. But I want to give you one more thing for you, because I have not seen this, and now that I've read about it, I want to see it. Because it's just, you know, I, I can't help it. Sometimes I want to see one of these crazy movies. Um, like, you know, you got Lake Placid. You've got... Um, I've, like, never, I've, never seen a shark, I've never seen a Sharknado in my life, and I'm not going to. But Python just sounded cool. I mean, I've seen Anaconda. I've seen Anaconda. It was good, but... Python just sounds like it's something I need to see. Python has... It's the only, I think, film franchise I've been involved in with the sequels. So there's Python. There's Pythons, also with Billy Zapka, uh, who's in the first one, with Jenny McCarthy, Will Wheaton, and Mike Frayn Rosenoff. Uh, and surely uh, Billy Zapka killed the snake, right? He just, you know... I mean, he can't sweep the leg or anything, but surely he did something. Take care of that snake. He becomes he actually his dream from the first movie to get into special forces comes true. And then he fights the snake in the second one. And then they did Python versus Boa or mm -hmm. there, was a, there was a third movie. Right, that's what it's uh, I saw that. That's what yeah. it's listed as. That's company. He was the um in summer school, he's the one that is asleep all day because he's at the strip right. club all day. Yes. Uh he produced Python. <laughs> Did he? Yes. That's that's that is amazing. I did not know that. When I first saw that guy, I'm not gonna lie, I thought he was Jim Carrey because he was always sleeping. You didn't see much of him, but when I barely saw his oh, yeah. face, I thought, is that Jim Carrey? Because he had a good, he had a resemblance to him back then. It seemed like, 
But no, Earth Girls are easy, and Peggy Sue got married. Those are the best early Jim Carrey uh, roles. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you will, uh, anything you got going on these days that you want to put out there? I mean, are you uh, doing any more? Are you still on the Comic Con tours going on that throughout the states or anything, or anything coming up? Huge announcement was just made. Elizabeth Shue will be at Rhode Island Comic Con mm -hmm. coming up. <laughs> Huge news. Vincent D'Onofrio's there. Maya Bruton's there. I'll be there. We're working on other cast members. Um, a couple of cons coming up. Uh, follow me on Twitter and uh, Instagram at Keith Coogan. That's it. Just Keith Coogan. Nothing really creative on that. I have a website, KeithCooganOnline.com. We can order uh, autographs. I even sell signed dishes. Dishes are done, man. Uh, we got the Quarantine Bunch, which is former child stars that start an online support group during the pandemic. We started that right at the beginning of the pandemic. That's on YouTube. Uh, I am on On Our Own, which is on Amazon Prime right now. It's co-starring Brian O'Halloran. Bunch of Jersey boys whose parents moved to Florida, so they're stuck on their own in Jersey. And that's got a lot of the Viewisk Universe people. Um, reboot. I was just in Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. Uh, also, the director of Magnum Dopus, the making of Giant, Giant Silent Bob reboot, Josh Rausch directed a film called Wrong Reasons. Uh, that I've seen a cut of it; it's uh, almost done. Uh, and I also just was in Team of Two. <laughs> this is a buddy cop movie where the guy can't keep a buddy cop, so he goes through nineteen partners. I'm one of the partners. Very fun. Uh, I did five things just during pandemic, so it's been. Oh, and the Rookie. I just had an episode of the Rookie. On ABC, very explosive guest appeared. They blow me up with dynamite. It was embarrassing. Uh, explosive <laughs> like, to say the least. Name was JJ. All right, <laughs> dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, good, uh, good, fun time. Still doing it. I love this business, and um, will always act as my grandfather acted his whole life. I will go down swinging. Well, definitely, definitely. I mean, keep it going. Keep it. Uh... You know, there's, I'm, I'm just waiting for the next big thing to come out. Just let us know. They're coming. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot for coming on the show today. If if you if you make it to a Comic Con close to Nashville, Nashville has one sometimes, and Knoxville has the Fanboy Expo. If yep. you ever happen to make it down this way, if you'll let me know, I'll make a point of coming out and seeing you there and everything. Yeah, yeah. So it's a it might be a bit of a distance for you to go there, being from what California, right? Nope, we fly all over. We kicked off wow. the year with Anchorage, Alaska. This year we've been to Indiana, Illinois, Texas, Arizona, um, Florida, Jersey, New York, Rhode Island. Um, yeah, we've been doing, we are coming to a city near you. <laughs> city near me. And possibly near you too, people. Just watch for it. All right, well, once again, thanks a lot for coming on, man. I appreciate you coming on tonight and sitting with me and talking about the stuff. It's been a blast. Um, I hope everybody out there enjoys listening to you talk about the stuff you were in and the stories you told and everything. It was really, really fun. Uh, so, thank you. I life for you. Thanks for the time. I totally appreciate I it. Definitely wish you the best. Thanks a lot, man. You have okay. a good night. Dishes are done, man. Dishes are done, man. <laughs> All right, everybody. That was Keith Coogan from Adventures in Babysitting, as well as he said many, many, many other things. Uh, hope everybody enjoyed the show today that we did. We had a blast doing this, and I look forward to next week talking with you again. So, 
Be sure to look for us on social media at Facebook, Instagram. We got a little Twitter account going on at Retro Life for You. If you have any questions or comments or anything, you can reach me at RetroLifeForYou at gmail.com. But your best bet to get me is either the email or the Instagram account, either one. So we look forward to seeing you guys next week. That being said, good night, everybody.